Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Foltz. With me, as always, my co-host and brother, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How are you, brother? Oh, I'm feeling good, Foltz. How about yourself? I'm feeling great because we're getting into some of the meat, some of the, the actual history of Subtle Beast and where we, what our, where our roots come from, if you will. Because we're going to be getting into things like uh, black holes tonight. We're going to be talking about time travel tonight. We're going to be talking about uh, speed of light travel tonight. The space-time continuum. The space-time continuum. I mean, you might as well just say, I can't wait to get into this because it's my favorite. Some of these topics that we're going to be discussing tonight. I mean, the possibilities are endless, and that's what makes it such a, a fun topic to cover because you can take it in any direction, and we'll see where we can, where the twists and turns end up throughout this. Uh, Steve, I know you love this topic, too. I do. I love this topic, and it, it can be taken in so many different ways, but one of the cool things about this topic is that it all gets brought back tonight to Dr. Stephen Hawking. Right, so the show that we're putting on tonight is, it's almost a tribute to uh, to Dr. Hawking because he was revolutionary in the world of uh, theoretical physics in our world, and quite frankly, we might not even be having the discussions that we're having today on time travel or black holes if it wasn't for Dr. Hawking. I mean, there's been a bunch of leaders throughout history, if you will, that need to be recognized, like Galileo, like Steve was saying to me in pre-show, and uh, Einstein, and uh, Tesla, and maybe even today, um, Elon Musk. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I highly respect him. I, I know he gets a lot of uh, flack from people, but uh, I respect him, and I think what he's doing is great. But uh, we might as well... Uh, since we're going to be discussing Dr. Hawking, if people are unfamiliar with him, Steve, why don't you give them you know, a little background on the great doctor? Right. So Hawking was born in Oxford into a family of doctors. Hawking began his university education at University College, Oxford, in October of 1959 at the age of 17, where he received a first-class bachelor, bachelor's degree in physics. He began his graduate work at Trinity Hall, Cambridge in October of 1962, where he obtained his Ph.D. degree in applied mathematics and theoretical physics, specializing in general relativity and cosmology, and he got that in March of 66. In 1963, Hawking was diagnosed with an early-onset, slow-progressing form of ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease, that gradually paralyzed him over the decades. After the loss of his speech, he was able to communicate through a speech-generating device initially used through a hand switch and eventually used by a single cheek muscle. Hawking's scientific works included a collaboration with Roger Penrose on gravitational singularity theorems in the framework of general relativity and the theoretical prediction that black holes emit radiation, often called Hawking radiation. Hawking was the first to set out a theory of cosmology explained by a union of the general theory of relativity and quantum mechanics. He was a vigorous supporter of the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. Hawking achieved commercial success with several works of popular science in which he discussed his theories of cosmology and 
his and cosmology in general. His book, A Brief History in Time, appeared on the Sunday Times bestseller list for a record-breaking 237 weeks. Hawking was a fellow of the Royal Society, a lifetime member of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences, and a recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian award in the United States. In 2002, Hawking was ranked number 25 in the BBC's poll of the 100 Greatest Britons. He died on March 14th of 2018 at the age of 76 after living with the motor neuron disease for more than 50 years. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, he lived a full life, even though uh, it's a, it's so unfortunate that he suffered with ALS his entire life. But I'll tell you what. There's there's many men in my lineage that haven't made it to 76. So at least he had a full life. And he had a full life. And also, he, uh, he was engaged with society with society with society he had many millions of fans so you could almost say als he did not allow it to hold him back from his dreams it, it had to have been at you know when you first lost capability of movement i can't imagine what that must have been it must have been like a living nightmare imagine you're fully intact with your brain, but your body doesn't operate. That's got to be so frustrating. Gosh, my heart goes out to him because of what a uh, massive contribution he's been to uh, not only theoretical physics, physics, but just science in general. And to everyone with ALS. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So let's see. <clears throat> so let's dive deep into a little bit of uh, what Stephen Hawking was working on uh, right before he passed it's basically his final theory and <clears throat> the theory is is the universe a hologram so that is right up our alley now stephen hawking he had revealed from <clears throat> beyond the grave his final scientific theory the universe is a hologram the cosmologist who died on march 14th 2017 2018 2018 apologies has challenged previous theories of cosmic inflation and the multiverse in a new paper published in the journal of high energy physics now scientists generally believe that for a tiny fraction of a second after the big bang the universe expanded incredibly rapidly before settling into its present state which is filled with stars and galaxies and that's the inflation theory but some have proposed that on a grander global scale inflation goes on forever giving rise to a multiverse, a number of different universes with their own laws of physics. Professor Hawking was always troubled by this idea, which at a fundamental level cannot be reconciled with Einstein's theory of general relativity. In an interview he did, I have never been a fan of the multiverse, he said. Now, Albert Einstein explained that what we perceive as the force of gravity in fact arises from the curvature of space-time. He found that space and time were actually interwoven into a single continuum known as space-time. As he worked out the questions for this general theory of relativity, Einstein <coughs> realized that massive objects cause a distortion within its continuum. Imagine a large body in the center of a trampoline. The body would press down into the fabric, causing it to dimple. Now, if a marble was then rolled around the edge, it would spiral inward, t 
toward the body, pulled in much the same way that gravity of a planet pulls at rocks in space. He proposed that objects such as the sun and the earth work in a similar way. In the presence of matter and energy, they can evolve, stretch, and warp, forming ridges, mountains, and valleys that cause things moving through to zigzag and curve. Now, Einstein was determined that massive objects like Earth cause distortion in space-time, which is felt as gravity. Now, he was working with a Belgian colleague, Professor Thomas Hertog. Professor Hawking extended the weird notion of holographic reality to explain how the universe came into being from the moment of the Big Bang. Now, the new theory embraces the strange concept that the universe is like a vast and complex hologram. Now, in other words, 3D reality is an illusion and that the apparent solid world around us and the dimension of time is projected from the information stored on a flat 2D surface. surface. Hawking and Hertog's variation of the holography theory overcomes the problem of combining eternal inflation with general relativity. Now, Professor Hertog, now he was from the Catholici University Leuven. He said, it's a very precise mathematical notion of holography that has come out of string theory in the last few years, which is not fully understood, but is mind-boggling and changes the scene completely. Applied to inflation, the newly published theory suggests that the time and the beginning of the universe arose holographically from an unknowable state outside the Big Bang. Professor Hawking said before his death, we are not down to a single unique universe, but our findings imply a significant reduction of the multiverse to a much smaller range of possible universes. But I wonder what that means, though. What, in, when you're talking about space and time, what's fewer? 60 million? Fewer than infinite. Fewer than infinite. So, I mean, it still could be. 60 trillion. Exactly. Right. But then one would have to beg to ask the question, if our world is part of a multiverse, if you will, then are all the other worlds... Now, are they just part of that 70 trillion, if you will, multiverse? Or are they all independently standing with an arm reaching out with 70 trillion universes? I mean, it can start to drive you crazy. It could definitely be looked at as a large sum. But when he's saying mathematically that they're capping it, to not infinite that there is a finite end to it i think that that alone encapsulates it to that that our universe and the one beside us are part of the greater whole and they don't independently stretch out in any direction because that would be infinite right i think that that sets that is a rule and when it comes to uh infinite realities to have any rule is is a start yeah but i mean when you start talking about rules and theories and multiverses, it, it, it's so complex that, I don't know. I'm just going to let you jump into this next section and, uh, and we'll get back to it. So Hawking, uh, this, is a, this is a part about which science made him famous. So Professor Hawking 
uh, died at the age of 76. The Cambridge theoretical physicist was one of the best known scientists in the world. But what about his discoveries? His fame among researchers was founded on a series of studies that wed Albert Einstein's great theory of gravity, general relativity, with the strange world of quantum mechanics, normally applied to tiny things like atoms and molecules. What Hawking ended up with were descriptions of black holes that could boil themselves out of existence and equations that described the entire history of the universe in a single sweep. So here are some of Stephen Hawking's most important discoveries. With the Oxford mathematician Roger Penrose, he showed that if there was a Big Bang, it must have started from an infinitely small point called a singularity. Black holes radiate energy known as Hawking radiation while gradually losing mass. This is due to quantum effects near the edge of the black hole, a region called the event horizon. He predicted the existence of many black holes at the time of the Big Bang. These tiny black holes would have been incredibly hot, shedding mass until they vanished, potentially ending their lives with a powerful explosion. In the 70s, Hawking considered whether the particles and light entering a black hole were destroyed if the black hole evaporated. Hawking initially thought this information was lost from the universe, but U.S. physicist Leonard Susskind disagreed. These ideas became known as the information paradox. In 2004, Hawking conceded that the information must be conserved. So in that instance, he was in a debate with another physicist and conceded or lost. Right. Well, not necessarily lost because it couldn't be proven, but he conceded thinking, okay, you have a better point. Right. With the physicist James Hartle, he tried to describe the history of the cosmos in one mathematical expression. But quantum theory shows that the distinctions between space and time are unclear. As a result, the proposal showed that there was little pointing to asking what happened before the Big Bang. And, and it's interesting, what I was going to say prior, and then I thought it would be better to wait until we covered this, was you have to think about a, well, at least this is how I think about it, of, of, a, of a theory of this nature. When people say, oh, well, that, that's impossible. Well, is it or is it just that we haven't figured it out or we haven't if we haven't found the missing link, if you will, to the time travel or black holes or the Big Bang? Because think back to like the 1400, 1500s, 1600s. So they're living in castles and just off the land and everything. And they were fighting with swords. And all. do you think that they could predict uh, an iPhone or a computer no. That was beyond that. That would be if you had something like that back then, then or you spoke of something like that, then that would be witchcraft. And they would kill you. That would, that's from the supernatural realm. Nothing like that could ever exist. That's how far outside the realm is. So what if we? What if we're the fifteen hundreds as far as it comes to the Big Bang theory, black holes, and time travel? And it's like, oh well, uh, we don't know if it's possible yet. And people 
800 years from now are like, isn't that crazy how they used to think that there was no time or, or that black holes didn't work in that way or they were wrong about this. They measured time this way. I mean, history always judges us for our errors. So, I mean, at least these guys are pioneers and at least putting their names out saying, hey, this is a possibility. Uh, I mean, you have uh, Dr. Michio Kaku, who is one of the big leaders in the string theory, too. So, I mean, they have to, uh, they put their names out there and I'm sure that their colleagues snicker at them and things of that nature. But I always look at people like that. They're expanding their mind. They're thinking outside the box. There's no need to make fun of because, again, they're just backing it up with saying that it's a theory. We can all have a theory. It doesn't have to be ridiculed. Right, and those guys are practicing nice, safe science in the comfort of their office. Oh, sure, and they're working off of all kinds of grants, and they're just like, I'm going to ride this grant out and hopefully renew. Anyway. So Hawking was obsessed with black holes. Hawking's first forays into science publication were as a student in the 1960s when he'd had only the first intimations of the motor neuron disease that would become such a big part of his life. With Oxford mathematician Roger Penrose, he showed that if there was a Big Bang, it must have started from an infinitely small point. A physicist speak, in physicist speak, that is called a singularity. At the time, when still cooling afterglow of the Big Bang, the cosmic microwave background radiation had only just been detected on the sky. Other cosmologists had hoped for something less radical than the notion of an entire universe emerging out of nothing. Together, Hawking and Penrose showed the quest for gentler answers uh, that was hopeless. It was exactly what they thought. It was a Big Bang coming from nothing. Making Black Holes Disappear Hawking's next venture in the 1970s was to show that black holes are not black at all. But are in fact, as the title of one paper put it, white hot. Ooh, I like that. Black holes are the ultimate monster of general relativity. Maybe we could call this episode white hot. Well, I'm sure they'll know by now. <laughs> First conceived and named by John Wheeler, they are regions of space so dense that everything within their realm collapses to a single point. Another example of singularity. At the time, it seemed so ridiculous that these gorgons of gravity should have anything to do with the delicate theory of quantum mechanics designed to explain light and the orbits of electrons in atoms. It reminds me of the conversation in the movie uh, Revenge of the Nerds Part 2 where they're stranded on the beach and they're all sitting around and I think that they, they found some cannabis plants. We've got Bush. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're all sitting around partaking, and then you hear like Poindexter say, so wait, you're telling me that without infinite largeness that we can't have infinite smallness? And they're all going, exactly. And then and Ogre's like, what if C-A-T <laughs> really spelled dog? And they're like, wow, dog, that's really heavy, Ogre. It's great. Yeah. So, but that's what it made me think of when it's like, it comes back to a singular point because my interpretation of that is something that was infinitely huge there when it, it collapses back in on itself and then it's, it's no longer taking up any mass anymore. It just vanishes into that singularity, just nothing. I, I've honestly, I've been going over that point and, and wrestling with it in my brain all week. Uh, it goes back to the, the saying from men in black, the universe is on Orion's belt. And right. 
and what you had said in pre-show uh that what if our you our entire universe is a science project of a child of, of an alien child sitting on his shelf in his room that got a c plus on it yeah man when you think of scale and scope and and the, and the space-time continuum it's it's those thoughts that that are so ponderous yeah well elon musk has stated that and he, well he's made the statement that there's a one in billion chance that we're not living in a simulation and then if you go a little bit further there's also um physicists out there that said we have dug down to the to the absolute fabric of life and what we have found is ones and zeros well that's binary code so what does that tell you then we should be living in a simulation oh i mean look at the progression of time uh when i was born in the late 70s and so was steve so growing up we had things like pong which were just like, you know, you twisted a couple things and you tried, it was almost like a little hockey match back and forth. Well, then Atari 2600. And then it came out with ColecoVision. And then after that was Nintendo, then Super Nintendo. And then the Xbox came out. And now they got all the way up to Xbox and PS, PS4s. Look at the graphics on that in just 40 years. Well, magnify that times 2 million years, 3 million years. What would the graphics be? Would they be undistinguishable from real life? Would the, pro- would the programs you write not even be aware that they're a program because of how advanced the or whatever uh, what, a, what a civilization that possibly, if you believe in that, they created mankind were or are or the universe, I should say. Or the technology itself. It could be AI just constantly looping, updating itself and creating more and better graphics faster. Um, and you're right about humans with DNA that is binary. Um, if you look at the mapping of a strand of DNA, at the end of it, the uh, cell is either on or off, which is equivalent to a zero or a one. Correct. And it, it's just come to my attention that they found inside a strand of DNA, another strand of DNA right? with those same on and off positions. Right. So you're, you're absolutely right. It, 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 uh, all of humanity is written in binary code, which is the same exact thing we use to write computer code. So it's one in the same nature and the digital world have become one in the same. So are we on some predestined mission per se, or are we being... Are we being controlled by some alien child sitting behind a screen where video games have become obsolete? They're just, they're not fun anymore. So what you do is you create a life. And if the lifespan of this civilization now, trust me, I know I'm going a little bit off, but this is where I live in my head. So if the civilization is, you know, video games are some of the past. So you create a civilization and maybe they, their lifespan is 300 years. So for this person to be have created me for the last 40 years, it really hasn't taken, you know, when he sits down at his computer, okay, well, today Foltz is going, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, he's got to be in the studio. And so then, but then your other character has got to be like, okay, I got to make sure that steve's at the studio i mean you don't know it's that complex or they could be um setting these characters up with with that binary code saying okay here's what i'm going to do i'm going to take this dna strand they go through each one of them all right this part i'm going to put on this part i'm going to turn off this part i'm going to let's see what this one does all right made this character go 
puts it in. Right. Kind of like winding up like a toy that and be like, okay, this time I'm going to wind it up real fast. And it's like, but if you wind it up just right, it's like, it just walks through life. It's just. Right. You can't put everything on. You can't put everything off in a DNA. You got to have some things that are on, some things that are off, but you can switch them around a little bit to make different things happen. Right. And so, and then you have to think, so are the quote unquote crazy people in the world, were they intentional to be like, all right, well, let's see when we leave all this stuff on. Right. And we turn all this other stuff off. Let, and then we'll know, okay, we don't or do that or we definitely do that. Exactly. Exactly, folks. Hit it. So, Hawking, uh, this is in the black hole segment, but Hawking showed otherwise. In fact, quantum theory completely changes the fate of black holes. At their very fringes, Hawking demonstrated black holes would create and radiate new particles due to these laws, losing energy and hence losing mass. Remember Einstein's equation E equals MC squared. It would take a black hole a very long time to evaporate in this way, but in its last moments, Hawking said, it would expire in a burst of energy equivalent to a million megaton hydrogen bomb. So, it's going to be huge. It's going to be a big one. When the Large Hadron Collider was opened in the Swiss-French countryside outside of Geneva, there was hope that the particle accelerator might be able to create microscopic black holes and so prove Hawking's ideas. A Nobel Prize would have been certain if that happened, but the LHC has not released any information proving this yet. And one could say maybe they maybe they did because... If you've been a fan with us for a while, uh, some shows we had done in the past, like four episodes on the Mandela effect, which ties directly in with CERN. So if you've missed those episodes, I uh, highly suggest go back and check those out because that'll tie directly into all these theories that we're talking about that have to do with Dr. Hawking. A hundred percent. So an explanation for the universe. Having tackled singled black holes, Hawking turned his attention to the universe as a whole the ultimate, inescapable, gravitational container. The laws of quantum science are as applicable here as to a vanishing black hole, especially at the first moment, the Big Bang. While other researchers struggled to depict a brief moment in the life of a molecule using quantum laws, Hawking showed it was possible to encapsulate the entire history of the universe in a single mathematical expression. The wave function of the universe is what he called it. Because the expression itself contained, is self-contained, it started at a singularity at the beginning of time and is closed by another at the end of time. And if necessary, history can bounce back and forth between these two bookends. There is no need, indeed, no point to ask what happened before the Big Bang. An existing universe would explain itself on its own terms. To know that such a mathematical description might exist is one thing. To know which expression is the right one is a far harder job. Stephen Hawking's mind was not the all-conquering juggernaut of public myth. Like any scientist, he got it wrong from time to time and often had to concede defeat in, an in, in, a, in intellectual combat. Easy for you to say. Yeah, intellectual is not very easy to say for intellectuals. We sometimes know of this balance of his predilection 
for laying down. Your programmer is getting to you. Your programmer is shutting you down. Fanciful bets. Because I'm trying to say this, but there's such hard words. Basically, what they're saying is that he would make crazy bets with other scientists while he was doing these outlandish uh, descriptions and mathematical equations. So with one of them, he bet a year's subscription to Playboy versus one for Private Eye. Wow. This happened in 2004 when he conceded to computer scientist John Preskill that black holes were not the ultimate information shredders in the universe, a consequence he perceived of black hole theories that would have undermined some of the most fundamental laws of physics. Hawking accepted black holes could store information in their past encoded somehow somewhere on their edges, the so-called event horizon. Wow. Just right there. That's going to have to make me bring up one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey. All right. All right. All right. (laughs) Big party at the moon tower. Yeah. Oh, gosh. We're going to talk about it. So if you haven't seen it and you're planning on it, huge spoiler alerts coming. Huge spoiler alerts. But in that movie, uh, the event horizon on the black hole, uh, we're going to be skipping ahead, obviously, throughout the movie. But... They were orbiting this planet this planet that was close to a black hole. Now, the gravity of the black hole, once you would descend down onto that planet, was so heavy from the black hole that for every minute, minute and a half that you were down there was seven years back on Earth. So, or was it every, yeah, it was every minute, every minute, or was it every hour? Every hour, I think. And they were gone three hours, so that was like three and a half hours, and they were gone like 24 years or something like well, that. Well, remember the tick... Yeah, the tick was a day. The tick was a day. That's right. So the music during the, uh, the scene where they they go onto this water planet, uh, if you remember, they think that there's mountains, but it just turns out to be waves. And they're, they're trying to run back to the ship, but the gravity's so heavy, and then they have to get the, the droids involved to help them. And then, oh, it's just a mess. And so they think they're gone three and a half hours. They get back on the ship, and the guy that stayed back because he was going to figure out all the mathematical physics involved with the black hole yeah he was gray and he had old and he had said i i waited years i had almost given up hope and they said well you've been awake this whole time and i went down for a few stretches in in hyper sleep for a few years and this and that but he probably thought they died and that they would never see him again i can't imagine what his hopelessness must have felt like i mean he knew that he knew the theory yeah right so he knew he had to wait that that would have been an internal struggle where you know you have to wait for these people to come back and you're on the cusp of a black hole. So you know that time can warp in such a way that his lifetime might not be long enough for them to come back. Right. Because, uh, I mean, imagine two hours into it for, for the people that were down on the planet, the crew. And, but for him, it was like tw- like 18 years or something. And he's probably like, oh, my God. But then he'd always have to keep in check. Okay, that's only two hours. Right, he was. He probably did the math like every day. He probably knew exactly how how many seconds it was, and he was probably thinking to himself, "Is it worth it? Right? Is it worth it for me to stay here and and sacrifice a large part of my life for them to have to?" But it was, and then the reason why was because they were looking for an a habitable planet for all of earthlings like all of humanity right they had they had like embryos with them and everything so he was sacrificing that time and a large part of his life 
for the greater good of the race. I definitely wouldn't have been the one to stay back. I'm like, look, <laughs> we know that, Fultz. I gotta have the three hour one, man. I start to, <laughs> I'd probably eject myself out of the cargo hold. I'm like, all oh, right. Well, they almost blew it and died. So that's true. Yeah, Doctor Man, do not open the cargo. <laughs> but yeah, what a great move. But then it also works too with the with the black hole in the hor- the event horizon too. At the end of the movie, when they have to like slingshot the the girl to Edmund's planet they have to do it by slingshotting around the black hole which that distorts time too so like hundreds of years or like 70 years and because she had said to matthew mcconaughey you don't look too bad for pushing 125 and because he had told his daughter also that one day when i come back we might be the same age but when he does come back she's far older than he is right right well i mean when you're dealing with that level of space time you can miss it by a little and it's a lot yeah exactly so the uh wrapping up the horizons i guess many researchers were frustrated by the ease of which stephen hawking generated publicity often overshadowing other talents with equally extraordinary or challenging ideas his papers were typically at the extremes of mathematical science a further step along the path he'd chosen to follow in his student days, but they were not always close to the central scientific issues of the day. Nevertheless, his ability to project his intellectual enthusiasm beyond his frail body and draw the wider public into his abstruse realms of science is undeniable. I agree. Totally agree. So, okay, let's get into... This is going to get this is going to get interesting because this is where we're going to talk about like speed of light travel and probably get more into like wormholes and such. So Stephen Hawking had a final book and it suggested that time travel may one day be possible. And here's what we can make of it. Uh, if one made a research grant application to work on time travel, it would be dismissed immediately writes physicist Stephen Hawking in a posthumous book brief answers to the big questions. He was right. But he was also right that asking whether time travel is possible is a very serious question that can still be approached scientifically. Now, arguing that our current understanding cannot rule it out, Hawking, it seems, was cautiously optimistic. So where does this leave us? We cannot build a time machine today, but could we in the future? Let's start with our everyday experience. We take for granted the ability to call our friends and family wherever they are in the world to find out what they are up to right now. But this is something we can never actually know. The signals carrying their voices and images travel incomprehensibly fast, but it still takes a finite time for those signals to reach us. Our inability to access the quote-unquote now of someone far away is at the heart of Albert Einstein's theories of space and time. It's also in the movie Spaceballs. It is. Where are we? Oh, that's right. What the heck am I looking at? You're looking at now, sir. What happened to then? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? (laughs) Soon. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect, man. Perfect. So, well, and and, and staying with Spaceballs, our next section is talking about light speed, (laughs) not ludicrous speed or ridiculous speed. They've gone to plaid. (laughs) They must have overshot us by a week and a half. Now, Einstein told us that space and time are parts of one thing, space-time. 
and that we should be as willing to think about distances in time as we are in distances in space. As odd as this might sound, we happily answer about two and a half hours when someone asks how far Birmingham is from London, for example. What they mean is that the journey takes that long at the average speed of 50 miles per hour. So, mathematically, the statement is equivalent to saying that Birmingham is about 125 miles from London. A physicist named Brian Cox and Jeff Forshaw, they wrote in their book, Why Does E Equal MC Square? Time and distance can be interchanged using something that has the currency of speed. Einstein's intellectual leap was supposed that, supposed that the exchange rate from a time to a distance in space-time is universal, and it is the speed of light. The speed of light is the fastest any signal can travel, putting a fundamental limit on how soon we can know what's going on elsewhere in the universe. This gives us Ca- was it casualty? Oh, this gives us casualty. The law that affects must always come after the causes. It is a serious theoretical thorn in the side of time traveling protagonists. Now, for for us to travel back in time and set in motion events that prevent our birth is to put the effect me before the cause, my birth. Now, if the speed of light is universal in the vacuum of an empty space, we must measure it to be the same. 299,792,458 meters per second, which is interesting because that is the exact latitude of the Great Pyramid in Pyramid. I think it's uh, the north direction. So for it to match up exactly with uh, the speed of light, that's pretty crazy. Also, so what I'm basically saying is aliens. So... (laughs) Einstein realized that the consequences of the speed of light being absolute is that space and time itself cannot be. And it turns out that the moving clocks must tick slower than stationary ones. Now, if we were to fly off at an incredible speed in spaceship and return to Earth, less time would pass by for us than it would for anyone that we left behind. Now, everyone... Return to everyone that returned to would conclude that my life had run as if it was in slow motion. We would have aged more slowly than them, and we would have concluded that their lives had run in fast forward. The faster I traveled, the slower my clock would tick relative to the clocks of Earth. Now that goes back to Interstellar when they were going around the black hole, the the event horizon, because they were using all the boosters to go as fast as they possibly could, and that was slowing down time for uh, people back on Earth. Well, at least it gave the perception of to them. I think a lot of it has to do with the speed of the rocket. Well, 100%. 100%. So if we made that trip at the speed of light and we would return as if we had been frozen in time. But what if we were to travel faster than light? Would time run backwards as science science fiction has taught us? Now, unfortunately, it takes an infinite energy to accelerate a human being to the speed of light, let alone beyond it. But even if we could, time wouldn't simply run backwards. Instead, it would no longer make sense to talk about forward and backward at all. The law of casualty would be violated, and the concept of cause and effect would lose its meaning. That's true. If you put the cause, if you put the effect before the cause, then you run into a a place where uh, time loses its rigidity it loses its laws right i mean even astronauts have said when they're out doing spacewalks you don't necessarily unless you're like looking at the earth or you're looking at the shuttle per se there's no up or down 
because there's no sky. You just are. Right. That is a tough concept to get over. So, but so basically, what it would be: Are you right side up to yourself in normal standings, looking at your spacecraft or looking towards the Earth? It's crazy. So let's talk about wormholes a little bit. Einstein told us that the force of gravity is a consequence of the way mass warps space-time. The more mass we squeeze into a region of space, the more space-time is warped and the slower nearby clocks tick. If we squeeze in enough mass, space-time becomes so warped that even light cannot escape its gravitational pull, and a black hole is formed. And if you were to approach the edge of a black hole and its event horizon, your clock would tick infinitely slower relative to those far away from it. Again, interstellar. Now, began, uh, interstellar, I, I watched like the makings of it and behind the scenes, and they had some big-time physicists uh, working on that with the director and the writer and because they tried to break it down to try and disprove that what was going on in the movie would never be possible, but they really couldn't because it was based off of some real... Mathematical it holds science. up. Yeah, it holds up mathematically. Yeah. So we could warp space-time in just the right way to close it back on itself and travel on back, back in time. So could we? Could we do that? The answer is maybe. And the warping we need is a traversable wormhole. But we also need to produce regions of negative energy density to stabilize it. And the classical physics of the 19th century prevents this. The modern theory of quantum mechanics, however, might not. According to quantum mechanics, empty space is not empty. Instead, it is filled with pairs of particles that pop up and out of existence. If we can make a region where fewer pairs are allowed to pop in and out than any everywhere else, then this region will have negative energy density. However, finding a consistent theory that combines quantum mechanics with Einstein's theory of gravity remains one of the biggest challenges in theoretical physics. One candidate, string theory, uh, precisely M-theory, may offer up another possibility, though. What it says is M-theory requires space-time to have 11 dimensions, the one of a time and three of space that we the one of time and three of space that we move in and seven more curled up invisibly small. Could we use these extra spatial dimensions to sport cut space time or shortcut space time? Hawking at least was hopeful. Now saving history. So is time travel really possibility? Our current understanding can't rule it out. Einstein's theories fail to describe the structure of space time at incredibly small scales. And while the laws of nature can often be completely at odds with our everyday experience, there are always, they are always self-consistent, leaving little room for the paradoxes that abound when we mess with the cause and effect in science fiction take on time travel. Now, despite this playful optimism, Hawking recognized that the undiscovered laws of physics that will one day supersede Einstein may conspire to prevent larger objects like you and I from hopping casually back and forth through time. We call this legacy the chronology projection conjecture. Whether or not the future has time machines in store, we can comfort ourselves with the knowledge that when we climb a mountain or speed along in our car, we change how time ticks. So this, so, so pretend to be a time traveler on December 8th, because remember, that is the National Time Traveler's Day, and that you already are a time traveler, just not in the way that you might hope. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I didn't know that December 8th was pretend to be a time traveler day. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, we're going to have to definitely celebrate that 
this year coming up here in the next few months. I agree. Time Traveler Day. What a what a great. I, I love talking about time travel and, I, and the way that that was ending, talking about the paradoxes. Time travel paradoxes are great because you tell well, the main one, the grandfather paradox. If you go back in time and kill your grandfather, do, do you, you exist? exist? Well, then there's other there's other theories too. If you go back in time, those things had already taken place. So not only ha- are you back in time, but you're also have already always been a part of that when you get back there. So that there's nothing that you can really change. So that's a crazy theory too. I agree with that. I agree with that theory. I would prefer that. I mean, if time travel was real, it would almost be like if you could just immerse yourself and you go back and maybe even just like if you were like like an invisible hologram almost, but because you're just watching like a recording, but you could walk around and you could observe, see. Observe. Yeah, observe, observe, not interact. There you go. Perfectly. There's so, just so many different things. Before we go, uh, could you tell them about the invitation? Yes. So Stephen Hawking, he believed in his uh, theories on time travel so much that he actually created a party. And what he did was he, he rented out a space he hired caters, caterers that brought the food there, all tons of food. He had like a hundred different bottles of champagne and just, but he didn't invite anybody. And this is why, because he wants to see if one day anybody can show up to this. He actually made a real invitation. You are cordially invited to a reception for time travelers. It is being put on by Professor Stephen Hawking to be held in the past at the University of Cambridge location and then it gives the uh uh latitude uh at 12 o'clock june 28th at 2009 so if anybody ever figures out time travel or you find yourself back in 2009 june of 2009 well go go to the great party with uh with uh professor hawking because when you walk in it'll just be you and he exactly if you want if you want to find out what it was that he was thinking if you if you get to the future you've created a time machine and you want to go back to where it all started dr stephen hawking and you want to have this discussion with him what better place to do it than at a catered party with champagne and you can go back and just have a one-on-one with him and for and for dr hawking in that timeline as soon as the party started you walked in the door and he's just like welcome i've been waiting for you uh it's amazing to think of those those loop type of ideas. It is. I mean, think of one of our favorites, Back to the Future, where he prevented his dad from marrying his mom, so it started erasing people from existence. Right. You know, Dr. Emmett Brown and the, and the uh, flux capacitor. Right. It, it goes exactly along with the same principles. So I loved it. I had a lot of fun with this. I love playing, uh, paying tribute to uh, Professor Hawking because he is a main contributor to what Subtle Beast believes in and what we talk about on a regular basis. So. Like you said, one of the great minds of our time. 100%. So if you want to know more about uh, his early earlier life, I, uh, I believe there was a movie just within the last two years that came out check it out it, it, it gives you the whole background before his als and it goes through some of his theories really great um but yeah that's our show for tonight on uh, dr hawking and we hope that you enjoyed it so until next time i'm Foltz, and i'm steve and we'll see you next time take care of one another bye-bye